Welcome to Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Soundprints for the week of July 11, 2021. First, please note that there will be no Soundprints for July 18. Soundprints will return following the ACB convention on July 25. GLCB, Greater Louisville Council of the Blind, will not hold roundabout on July 16 or July 23. The Tri-State Library users will not hold its meeting on July 17. And the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will not hold its Low Vision group on Wednesday, July 21, all due to the ACB National Convention. These activities will return following the convention. The Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana invites everyone to an informational call on Monday, July 26 at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. The guest speaker will be Sarah Bevan, who has made several presentations to GDUKI in the past. Topics have included first aid, nutrition, massage, and other topics of interest to Guide Dog Users and pet owners in general. The Zoom number for this call is the KCB number at 669-900-6833. The code is 862-9889-6972. The Greater Louisville Council of Blind will hold its next roundabout on Friday, July 30, from 5 to 9 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries. The program will include a convention roundup, page-turners, and dinner. Watch the KCB email list for more details. A special virtual roundabout will be held on Saturday, July 31 at 11 a.m. The topics will be the same as the Friday evening in-person roundabout. To join the virtual roundabout, call 669-900-6833 and enter the codes 862-9889-6972. You can still support the GLCB Roundabout Fundraiser by placing an order from our Pampered Chef Party. Shop online or shop by phone. For more information, contact Cindy Golding, our Pampered Chef Representative at 951-235-5486 or the KCB office at 502-895-4598. Here is some information about the convention that may be helpful to each of you as you work your way through convention week. Registration for the convention reopens on Wednesday, July 14 and will remain open throughout the convention. Register online by visiting members.acb.org or by phone by calling the Minnesota office at 612-332-3242. Registration is $25 for members, $40 for non-members. If you are a member of the Kentucky Council of the Blind, email your registration receipt to kcb at kentucky-acb.org or give us a call at 502-895-4598 and we will refund your $25 registration fee. When you register, you will receive Zoom links that will allow you to participate 
actively in the sessions of your choice from your computer, cell phone, or landline. Beginning Thursday evening, July 15, you will receive Zoom links for all of the sessions to be held the following day. For example, on Thursday the 15th, you will receive links for sessions to be held on Friday the 16th. If you don't have email, call the Convention Information and Tech Support Line at 888-444-6320. If you don't have email, call the Convention Information and Tech Support Line at 888-444-6320. Note, this is a different number than that printed in the program. If your call goes to voicemail, leave a message and someone will call you back. If you do not register, or if you just don't want to connect to every session by phone, or if you would like to listen to more than one session at a time, you can listen on ACB Media, formerly ACB Radio, through your Alexa device, through the ACB Link app on your iPhone or Android phone, on your Victor Stream, or on the phone. You can reach ACB Media online by visiting acbmedia.org. You can download the ACB Link app from the Apple App Store or from the Google Play Store for your Android phone. The telephone number for calling from your landline phone is 518-906-1820. Follow the menu prompts when you reach this number. The old ACB radio skills have gone away, and they are replaced with a new ACB media skill. Here's how to listen. The first time you use the skill, you will probably need to say, Alexa, enable ACB media, or... Alexa, enable ACB Media Skill. After that, when you want to listen, you'll just need to say, Alexa, open ACB Media. When the skill opens, you'll be able to ask to choose the channel you want to hear. There are now 10 channels, up from the old 7, and you can request them either by number or by name. Here is a list of the channels. AC Media Stream Designations. ACB Mainstream is now ACB1. ACB Mainstream 2 is now ACB2. ACB Treasure Trove is now ACB3. ACB Cafe is ACB4. ACB Community is ACB5. ACB Live Event is ACB6. ACB Special Event is ACB7. There are two new channels that are ACB convention channels. They are ACB 8 and ACB 9 and there is a new ACB convention information channel which is ACB 10. You can visit the new ACB Media Network live stream webpage at https colon slash slash www.acbmedia.org slash home slash streams. Did you know that you can earn continuing education credits and professional development hours while attending the ACB conference? No matter what your area of interest or work, a teacher, counselor, administrative assistant, customer care specialist, healthcare professional, attorney, and entrepreneur, technology trainer, O&M specialist, for example, you'll discover professional development PD opportunities at the 2021 ACB conference and convention. 
Continuing education credits are recognized by the Academy for Certification of Vision Rehabilitation and Education Professionals, ACVREP. You can earn PD hours and CE credits from home or office through the power of ACB Radio and the Zoom platform. ACB's 2021 CE-PD program is flexible enough to fit any need. Just browse the ACB Convention website to discover an amazing array of programs that carry CD and PD hours. To earn continuing education credits and professional development hours, you must register for the convention. Then just purchase the number of flex credits that you need. During the convention, mix and match your designated general session programming, relevant exhibit presentations and tours, and sessions sponsored by ACB and its committees, special interest affiliates and partners to create an experience tailored just to your specific needs. For more information, visit the ACB Convention homepage at acbconvention.org or contact Carla Rushevel, CE Chair at 877-630-7190. One of the pieces of information that somehow did not manage to appear in the ACB Convention program was information on the Mini-Mall. Many of you have been asking about new products convention specials, etc. And be sure to watch your email lists and tune in to the ACB programming before the meetings each morning as well as check the convention newspaper for information about the mini mall. We will also try to provide you information on the KCB information line at 773 572-6318. So check there for many mall specials and information. And now let's talk about acbconvention.org. That's the main webpage for the 2021 ACB Conference and Convention. There you'll find all kinds of information such as the convention program. You'll be able to browse registration information, you'll find continuing education details, exhibitor booths and Zoom room information, candidates pages, and information about the ACB community and contact information. Be sure to check it out. Here's a couple of details coming up that you'll be interested in hearing about. Exhibits and tours. Let's check out those popular aspects of the convention. There is a list of ACB exhibitors in the convention program and there are a couple that were left out. Most of these exhibitors have Zoom rooms where you can visit them at specific times and talk to them just as you would if you were at an exhibit table about their products and the information that they have to offer. Here is the list. Ira, Amazon, American Printing House for the Blind, AT Guys, Bureau of Engraving and Printing, Beyond Sight, which was not included in the program but is on the webpage, Christian Record Services, Computers for the Blind, Dream Vision Group, Envision America, Envision Workforce Innovation Center, Facebook, 
Good Maps, Google, Guide Dog Foundation for the Blind, Guide Dogs for the Blind, Guide Dogs of America, Guide Lights and Gadgets, Guiding Eyes for the Blind, Hems Inc., Humanware, International Association of Audio Information Services, Imagination Video Books, Industries for the Blind and Visually Impaired, Insightful Visionaries, Irie AT, IRIE AT Braille and Low Vision, Leader Dogs for the Blind, Low Vision International America, Microsoft, National Braille Press, National Library Service, Newsreel Magazine, NRTC on Blindness and Low Vision, On the Move Mini Treadmill and Sit Mill, Orbit, which does not appear in the program, Roughware, San Francisco Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired, Sensi, Southeastern Guide Dogs, The Seeing Eye, Verizon Communications, View Plus Technologies, Vispero, including Freedom Scientific, Optilec, and Enhanced Vision. There will be an exhibit channel on ACB Media, which will be playing exhibits 24 hours a day. The segments are 8 hours each, and there will be different information on the exhibits on various days. So, check again. ACB Media 10 and the newspaper for more information from the exhibitors. The tour channel on ACB Radio will be available Friday, July 16 through Friday, July 23. The tour loop will run at six hour intervals and here is a list of the tours and the hours within the interval the tour will be presented. Remember that some of these tours will not be available on the podcasts for replay. Friday, July 16 and Tuesday, July 20, hours 1 and 2, Flight 93 Memorial and Visitor Center from Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Hour 3, Castle Williams National Park Service. Hour 4, Horseshoe Bend National Battlefield Park National Park Service. Hours 5 and 6, Mount Rushmore National Memorial, Mount Rushmore Society. Saturday, July 17, and Wednesday, July 21, hours 1 and 2, 90 minutes of Walt Disney Family Museum, and 30 minutes of U.S. Channel Islands National Park, Ventura, California. Hour 3, Chicago Botanical Gardens, Bueller Enabling Garden, and Smithsonian's National Museum of Natural History, Elephant Diorama. Hour 4, Salvador Dali Museum in St. Petersburg, Florida. Hour 5, U.S. Olympic and Paralympics Museum, Selected Exhibits, Colorado Springs, Colorado. Hour 6, National Portrait Gallery, Selected Presidential Portraits, Washington, D.C. Sunday, July 18, and Thursday, July 22. Hour 1, Riverlands Migratory Bird Sanctuary, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Hours 2 and 3. 30 Minutes, Smithsonian Institution, National Museum of American History, The Star-Spangled Banner, The Flag That Inspired the National Anthem, Washington, D.C. 90 Minutes, Wright Brothers National Memorial Visitor Center, National Park Service. Hour 4, Smithsonian Institution, 
Air and Space Museum, Einstein Planetarium, quote, and a star to steer her by, end quote, with Alec Guinness, Washington, D.C., hours 5 and 6, Flight 93 Memorial and Visitor Center, Shanksville, Pennsylvania, Monday, July 20, and Friday, July 23, hour 1, Dry Tortugas National Park, Fort Jefferson, Florida, Keys, Florida, and U.S. Holocaust Memorial and Museum, the Hall of Witness and the Hall of Remembrance, Washington, D.C. Hour 2, White House, Washington, D.C. Hour 3, Guggenheim Museum in the Mind's Eye, New York, New York. Hour 4, Getty Museum, Selected Items, Los Angeles, California. Hours 5 and 6, Holocaust Museum, Houston, Texas. On page 2 this week, you will find a program presented by the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana this past June. The guest speaker is Tony Eames, and she is discussing her background in working with guide dogs and her interest in the International Association of Assistance Dog Users. We think you will find this a very interesting presentation. Remember to call or email us with your comments, feedback, and suggestions. We always like to hear from our listeners. Call the Kentucky Council of the Blind at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Page 2. It's my great pleasure to introduce Ms. Tony Ames, who... There are so many phrases that apply to her. She's been a longtime guide dog handler. She publicized guide dogs by her example as she and her husband, Ed, traveled throughout certainly Europe and South America and other parts of the world, too. Um, She and Ed were, were really marked the beginning, I think, of the movement toward cooperation of guide dog schools. Their book was the first to compare guide dog programs and to offer uh, prospective users a way to at least get a little sense of what each school had to offer, what their differences were. And I think beginning really with that, with their first edition of that book, um, there, there began a dialogue among schools, and now we see things happen at conventions where various schools cooperate to present programs both to handlers and to professionals. Mobility conferences, O&Ms, have, you often have a guide dog mobility instructor track with presenters from various schools uh, presenting together, The, the although there is certainly competition for students and perhaps funds among schools, there is now a great deal of cooperation. I think we can lay a whole lot of that um, at the feet of of Tony and her uh, husband. We also know just how much Tony has graciously educated the world about guide dogs. So uh, she's also been a crucial developer of the International Association of Support 
dog handlers. I got it wrong. I'm sorry, Tony. You'll have to correct me. It's assistant dog handlers. I had it right when I wrote it, but I just couldn't get it out right. But she's going to tell us about that as well as whatever else she wants to say, because anything Tony says is going to be wonderful. So with no further ado, I would like to turn this over to Tony. And Tony, when you get tired of talking, feel free to let us know and we will, we will open it up. That'll be about midnight, I think. (laughs) That's fine with me. (laughs) I have to tell you, I am so thrilled because there are a number of people here I know or know of, and I appreciate your coming out and getting on Zoom. But uh, I think Bob Acosta is the only person who has had guide dogs longer than I have because I cannot believe I've had dogs for 54 years I remember early on when I first got a guide dog thinking, wow, 50 years, you know, but now Bob's had dogs for what, 59 years, Bob? Something like that. So he beats me out. (laughs) Anyway, I'll give you a little bit of history on all kinds of things. It was ACB that got my late husband and me together. We were in Philadelphia and... I was doing a presentation with my friends Bob and Irene Lambert from Montreal, and we had dogs who were privately trained, so we were doing a presentation about that on a Monday, and Ed was doing a presentation on Tuesday about the book he was writing, A Guide to Guide Dog Schools, and I was in the elevator, and I met Cindy Flairman from California, and she said, did you hear that professor's lecture, and I said, no. She said, well, you really need to get in touch with him. He doesn't know about privately trained dogs. And I thought to myself, oh, professors are always writing articles and books and, you know, couldn't be bothered. And Cindy really locked it in by saying, you'll be doing a disservice to the guide dog world if you don't get in touch with him. So I did. And that's how we met. (laughs) And so that was absolutely fabulous. Anyway, a little bit of background on me. I was born with very, very limited vision and was totally blind by the time I entered college. And I loved dogs. And this was, I'm 77 now, so this was in the 40s and 50s. And people, teachers, rehab counselors all told me, oh, you don't want a dog. Only incompetent blind people get guide dogs. And I was very sad because I really loved dogs. And I would go to recreation at the lighthouse in Manhattan, and they, there would be a guide dog in the elevator. And, of course, I know I'd want to pet it. Like, oh, no, you can't pet these dogs. I can remember, like, eight or nine years old, I said, nobody can pet them? Said, no, they have to concentrate. And I said, even you can't pet them? No, they have to concentrate. I don't want a guide dog. If I can't even pet it, forget that. And I actually literally grew up with that as, you know, my philosophy about guide dogs. I didn't know what they exactly did, but I didn't want one. I couldn't pet. And then I was at the lighthouse one day, and Nellie Emerson, an ACB member in California, at the time was in New York, and I caught her playing ball with her dog. She must have thought I was a Martian. I said, are you allowed to do that? She said, well, of course, he's my dog. Well, that really opened me. If you could play with your dog, then I wanted one. Of course, I still had no real clue on what they did. 
And so uh, at that point, I met a number of blind people through Nellie and so on and found out that guide dogs could do all kinds of miraculous things. And I was invited by the same couple, Bob and Irene Lambert, to join them in Philadelphia. And I remember, I mean, these innocent days, how will Charm know what to do? She's never been to Philadelphia. They said, she's a guide dog. You know, it has curbs and it has obstacles. She'll do fine. So, I mean, I was, I was so impressed that she could work in Philadelphia. I mean, I can't believe it now when I look back on how ignorant I was about things. One of my earliest memories of how wonderful guide dogs could be, I was in New York about to cross a major thoroughfare that was the entrance to one of the freeways. And I stood there having no clue when to cross because every time the light was in my favor, then the cars would be turning onto the freeway. And I stood there for probably three lights and Charm finally stepped off the curb, and I could almost hear her saying, God, if I wait for your command, we'll be here all day. Let's go. And I thought, well, okay. She knows how to cross streets. And, of course, she was correct. And we got to the other side, and it really opened my mind to guide dogs and what they were like and what they could do. And the time, I wasn't quite sure where to go for a guide dog, but I went to Guiding Eyes. I lived in New York, and I went to Guiding Eyes. And Jeff Locke, the director, introduced me to a number of dogs in the kennel. And as soon as I petted a golden retriever, I said, that's it. This is the one I want. And all six of my guide dogs have been golden retrievers. Because I just, I love the fur. I love the whole attitude of golden retrievers. So that was my very first experience. It was in 1967. I got this guide dog. And I thought... There must be people in other states who need to get together and, and chat. So I, along with Nellie and a few other people, started the National Society of Guide Dog Users, which became uh, GDUI. I remember many of the guide dog schools we contacted saying, there are no access problems. You don't need a national group. I lived in New York, but there are loads of access problems, you know, theaters, and, uh, restaurants, taxis frequently said no dogs allowed, and it was before the ADA. So I got so tired of advocating. In fact, I was accepted at Hunter College for my master's degree, and the uh, director there found out my uncle was a professor there and he was so excited that I was going to get a guide dog. And I was at Guiding Eyes at the time, got a message that said, we understand you want to come here with your guide dogs and we cannot accept them. We don't have the facilities for them. And I thought, you have floors, don't you? What kind of facilities do you need? Well, there had been a couple of guide dog people before me and they were not uh, very good with their dogs. And so if their dogs saw each other in the hallway, they'd snarl and get, you know, try to get at each other. And I knew that my dog was not like that. So I was pretty much of a chicken before I got Charm. She turned me into an advocate. Nobody was going to tell me that I couldn't have my dog. So I started contacting all kinds of people. In fact, I even contacted the mayor at one point And 
they finally relented that I could have my guide dog. I was in the rehabilitation department. We had three professors, one who was very much in favor and two who were not. And one of the female professors, remember, got me aside and was telling me what a big mistake I was making, insisting upon taking a dog and all these rules had been made for a reason. And I said, well, they don't pertain to my dog. And she said, well, you know, if you're working at an agency for the blind, you know, what are you going to do about people? They'll fall over your dog. And I said, not unless they're walking under my desk, they won't. And I just, I couldn't believe it was me saying all those things, but I was not about to be told my dog couldn't come into places. So that's how, uh, as I said, GDY first started, because I knew we needed a national group. We needed to know that we were all together on these issues. At the time, I had a pet dog and cats, and I still have cats. I Unfortunately, only have three cats now because the older ones died. And, you know, I just, I love that intersection of dogs and cats together. And certainly you have to be prepared when you have any kind of animals to monitor them and make sure everything is okay. But I just, I love it. At one point when my roommate, James, moved in with me, we had three dogs and six cats. And it was quite a, a house full. Okay, let's go back to Ed then. It's um, 1986, I guess, and Ed and I have now met, no, actually it's 1984, and he has a guide dog. He's never had a dog before. He is, uh, he has RP, and he's never had a dog, and he's not very knowledgeable at dogs. In fact, when he was getting his first guide dog, they were doing a night walk, and I had stopped, and Perrier, his black lab, peed on his leg. And the trainer came over and said, oh, that is so wonderful. Your dog is bonding with you. And I said, that is nonsense. It means your leg got in the way. Your dog was not bonding because he peed on your leg. So Ed and I had to have many discussions when we were writing the book about what was legitimate and what was not legitimate. I had so much more knowledge about dogs in general and guide dogs specifically and what they could do and how they were trained. And I had made contact at least with many, many of the guide dog uh, directors. So when we were ready to uh, talk about our, our book, it was fun to contact these folks and ask them about things that they had done uh, you know, how did they contact people? How did they choose the people who were getting their dogs and so on? So I had to educate Ed about a lot of things. I had participated in American Kennel Club obedience training, and I had a CD, which is companion dog. And I was bragging about it one day, and Ed said, a CD? I didn't know they gave bank, you know, bank deposits to guide dogs. And so, again, I had to educate him big time. But it was so much fun traveling with another blind person with a dog and discussing dogs. And we got married in 1960, 1987. He was a professor of anthropology 
and had lived for several years in India doing his work, he was considerably older than I, and I was very happy that I was not with him living in India. So, as I said, he got it out of his system before he met me. I was working as a rehabilitation counselor at a psychiatric hospital on Long Island and would commute into Manhattan where he was working at Baruch College, and we would meet and discuss the book. We were working with a a woman he knew, a sighted woman, just sort of put things together. And it was my goal to leave New York. I found it difficult living in New York. It really was not a guide dog friendly environment. And so I convinced Ed to move to Fresno, California, where I currently live. It's a very, very dog friendly community. Since I've been here, I think I have had two incidents where they said no dogs allowed. And that is, to me, in New York, it was like two incidents a week. So I'm very happy being here. So we did move. I left my job after working as a rehab counselor for 18 years, and he retired from his professorship. But let me go back a little bit with getting charm and starting with my guide dog. Um, I was so delighted to know what dogs could do and how they affected your life. And just having a dog at the psychiatric hospital was wonderful for me because she was like a therapy dog for the patients who came into my office and I would let them pet her if they came into my office first and asked to pet her. And so she was an icebreaker in so many ways that it was, it was just so great. And of course, uh, when she died, I had another dog, and this was the dog who was privately trained for me. Again, it was a golden. She was a golden. Um, and that's when I met Ed. I had Flicka, my guide dog uh, at the time. And Ed, being a professor, had to get involved with all kinds of things. So here we are in California, and he's a little bored because he's retired, and what is he supposed to do with his life? We went to a conference we had heard about of assistance dogs, international, and found out that there were dogs helping people with other disabilities and how fantastic those dogs were for those people. I mean, we were very knowledgeable about guide dogs, but when you were deaf and you couldn't hear your doorbell or you ordered pizza but had no idea when it came or didn't know when the phone rang or the uh, baby cried, you could have a dog who did all those things for you. And so that was sort of the birth of hearing dogs. And we met, again, many people with hearing dogs and the programs that trained them and how they were trained. And then there were people who were physically disabled and they needed help getting up from a chair or pulling their wheelchairs or opening doors uh, or reaching for things, you know, <laughs> those of us who are totally blind, if we drop something, we have to get down on the floor and sort of, you know, reach all around till we find what it is we dropped. But if you have a dog who on command will get things and hand them to you, how wonderful. And what they do with, let's say, the refrigerator is they put a little uh, rope 
or scarf on the refrigerator door and the dog pulls that and you know, gets into the refrigerator for you. Right now I'm in my computer room and I've closed the door, but what Adora does if she wants to come in is she opens it. And when I have a reader here, I say to her, okay, you have to learn how to close the door again. You've now opened it. But it's so wonderful to have a dog be able to do things that normally would be extremely difficult or virtually impossible for you to do. And then the movement of dogs who could help people with PTSD came along. And those dogs, again, are legitimately trained. They don't just automatically help you because you think they're helping you. And I think what we're dealing with now is so much of these comfort dogs and so on. I mean, I would love to take my cat everywhere. He's my comfort cat, but he doesn't do anything for me other than sleep with me and lick my face. Uh, and that's what happens with all of the so-called comfort dogs. Uh, but going back a little bit, uh, so then you have dogs who can alert to diabetes and to uh, epilepsy, and they don't always know how to train these dogs. Some, some dogs just do it automatically. So they have some techniques they use. For instance, if you're an epileptic, they might teach the dog that when you fall down or something, you know, to put its weight on you. And there are dogs who can, uh, who can alert 911 by pressing a button on a particular big phone. And sometimes that's the only button on it is the 911 button. But okay, you now have all these dogs doing all these marvelous things and they're all trained to do it. But do people know about what can be done? And that's when we established the International Association of Assistance Dog Partners. We struggled to have a clever name, but it just never happened. So it's I-A-A-D-P. And our goals were to educate one another. When I say one another, I mean, you know, the whole world of disability out there. There are dogs who can help you with things. Uh, as, you know, as, as happens with people who are losing vision and they think they can never leave their houses anymore, or how are they going to travel? And telling them, well, guide dogs can do this and that. Well, educating people about what service and hearing dogs could do was a was a big goal of ours. Another goal was to educate the public about what our dogs were trained to do and why these dogs should all have public access. When the ADA first came into being, you could just picture all these lawyers sitting around a big table knowing nothing about disability or dogs and saying, oh yes, we can't leave anybody out. We need to include them. So initially, it said that, uh, dog, no, not dogs, animals, that people with disabilities should be allowed to have their animals with them. Well, that's when you've got all these silly things with peacocks on airplanes and pigs, and people insisted these dogs could do things for them, but they certainly weren't trained tasks. There were people who just wanted to have their dogs with them. So the ADA did amend itself, what, 20 years later to say it had to be dogs or miniature horses. And I personally have not heard much 
in the past about the miniature horses. And I would love to go in my mall and walk around with a little horse going clippity-clop. And people who have these horses say that, you know, they are as good as guide dogs in terms of going around obstacles and so on. Uh, I don't know. I've never met one, and I don't really have a personal opinion about that. But the ADA was amended to say trained dogs or miniature horses. Okay, so those were our initial goals. We've got to get the word out there. What do these dogs do, and who should be allowed to work with them? And then we came up with the problem of people being able to afford their upkeep. You know, I see my vet fairly frequently because of the number of cats I've had and Adora. In fact, the veterinary staff love to see Adora because they say, how many dogs come in and they're so excited to see the vet? <laughs> of course, she's, you know, she's always had a treat and she's always had people petting her. So she thinks the vet is perfectly fine for her. So, okay, but what happens if you're on SSI and you have this, this dog and the dog helps you with so much of what you need and then something dreadful happens and you have big vet bills? What happens? So one of the things we developed at IAADP was a veterinary uh, account. And of course, we could not administer that. We needed someone else to be the administrator. And so luckily, Nutramax Laboratories has that. And if, if a vet applies to Nutramax and says, okay, I have a client here and the dog needs surgery, uh, they will evaluate it and pay some of it. We expect the disabled person to pay some of it too. It's not just a free vet bill. But there are other things. You know, what about sleep control? What about heartworm medication? What about a lot of the things that would make our dogs be able to function better and wouldn't bankrupt us? So Ed and I went to veterinary conferences and all kinds of meetings and tried to talk to the CEOs of different, different companies. We weren't too lucky with dog food companies. We tried to talk to Purina. We tried to talk to Royal Canin and said, okay, we can work out a system where the veterinarian can vouch that this person is uh, an assistance dog person in good standing. And would you give a voucher for reduced cost, especially, I know several of you probably have dogs on veterinary diets. And they are extremely expensive. So what do you do if you can't afford it? Do you just give your dog, you know, run-of-the-mill Walmart dog food? Or do you bankrupt yourself to give the dog the best food that you can? So that was another one of our goals. We haven't been very lucky on that one. We did have an arrangement with Bear Animal Health. They've just sold that part of the company, and I'm not sure what we're doing, but we had free flea and tick control for the longest time, and we still have some of the product left. So if you go online at www.iaadp.org, there are contact people. I need flea control. You have to be a member in good standing. And what we 
have is a membership fee of $20 a year or $40 for three years, so you get a year free. Also, um, Mutlux, which provides really good boots, has a significant discount. And then a friend told me about Mutt Muffs, which are big earmuffs for dogs. And if you're going to a concert or someplace loud, a ball game or whatever, and you can put these earmuffs on the dog. And it doesn't prevent them from hearing everything and unfortunately does not work with firecrackers. I wish it did. Uh, but again, Mutt Muffs and Mutt Lux give significant discounts. Strawberry Fields, which provides some collars and leashes and so on, uh, also gives a significant discount. Avid has a discount. And again, a lot of these things work through the veterinarian. We always want to involve the veterinarian. And so Avid gives free uh, chips, microchips, and enrollment in their uh, pet track. But you have to have a veterinarian who is willing to do this. And a friend just told me that she told her veterinarian about our VCP, Veterinary Care Partnership. And she said, I can't get involved. Well, I said, you better find another vet then, because I don't know if I'd want to go to a vet who didn't want to help me with some of these financial burdens. So that's, you know, another one of our programs. We have a newsletter that comes out on cassette and it also comes out uh, in print and on email. And that's called Partners Forum. And we try to get in touch with the world of disability and so on through uh, the newsletter. Another thing we've done is worked with airlines and with uh, hotels. Now, again, it's so disappointing because we have this great video for airlines, but they change personnel so often that it doesn't always work and getting the right people to see it. In fact, I remember one time when Ed and I were lecturing in Salt Lake City to Delta Airlines staff. And I said to them, okay, you have three toy poodles in the lounge. One is a legitimate hearing dog. One alerts to seizures. And one is a pet. But they're all well-behaved and they're all lying there. How do you know which one, you know, you can ask uh, not to board the plane? And, of course, they didn't know. And we don't know. And that's part of the problem. And I'll get into that in a little it about what's happening with all these people wanting to bring their pets who are untrained into places, uh, including airplanes. And that has made it so, so difficult for us because I personally do not want to go through all kinds of rigmarole and paperwork to get on a plane that for 50 years I've been flying without a problem. So, you know, we again have tried to come up with certain things. We worked with uh, GDUI to say, okay, what, what can you say is legitimate? And of course, one thing is that your dog uh, is toilet trained or whatever. Well, you know what? Accidents happen. And there have been these horrible things about pigs having big bowel movement problems in the aisles of the airplane. But guide dogs do occasionally have a problem. 
we worked with a lot of the airlines uh, to come up with their relief areas. And some of them are really great. I know I used to fly through Dallas a lot to change planes, and I went to see their relief area indoors, and it was ridiculous. They had this little, almost like a crate, like a, it had walls about three feet high, and for a retriever, I think they would barely be able to turn around. They were trying to do their business. And yes, it, it had uh, a filler that they could scoop out, but it was totally ridiculous. So my dog said, forget it, I'll hold it. And I've never been back to see if they improved it. But, you know, we we need to gather, and that's why we as GDY folks need to think about it's not just guide dogs. And I hear this all the time. Well, those other dogs are phony. Well, no, they're not phony. Uh, they do legitimate jobs for their people. And when we were working with Hawaii, I remember uh, saying, well, guide dogs need to accompany their blind people. But people uh, who are hearing impaired, well, they can do other things. They don't really need their dogs. And certainly if you're physically disabled, you're probably going to have somebody with you pushing your wheelchair or whatever. You don't need a dog. And I don't think that's up for us to say. Unfortunately, the expression uh, phony service dog has come about because there are so many people who are trying so hard to get their dogs, not pay the fee, have their dogs accompany them. During the time of the Westminster Dog Show, there are dozens of people who try to get their dogs on and say, oh, this is my, uh, my service dog. And what do we do? I mean, if you require a piece of paper that says, yes, you know, Fluffy has been trained, well, you could go to any Kinko and you could make up a little thing that with a picture. So what does that really say? It says nothing. Uh, and so what we need to really push when we work with professionals is what is the behavior of the dog? You know, you can phony up almost any credentials, but you can't phony up the way the dog behaves. And it's not only the aggressive dog, it's the dog who's too friendly, the dog who's jumping all over people and knocking little kids over, you know, doesn't know the commands to sit and stay. And unfortunately, we're, we're the victims of so many of these people. We try really hard to tell them how they're affecting us, but that expression you know, phony service dog comes up even with blind people. They don't want to think or know that there are legitimate reasons for having a dog with you, but it has to be a well-trained dog. And so that's part of what IADP is all about. We have to get out there and reach people to say, yeah, there are wonderful things your dogs can do for you, but your dog needs to be really, really well-trained. One of the things as I'm saying this that I think is really funny is you know, I mentioned Adora lives with cats. And when guide dogs came after my training to evaluate her, I said, she's not at all dog distracted. She's really great. And she is. I mean, she doesn't care about dogs behind fences or barking at her. But there was a loose cat, a community cat, as we call it. And this was a very friendly cat. 
So I kept circling her and then going into the bushes and jumping out at her and going up to her face. <laughs> and I said to the trainer, well, you never asked me if she was cat distracted, because she certainly was that day. But that silly cat running around trying to distract her. Uh, it's, I mean, I can tell a million billion stories, as I say, beyond the call till midnight. My dog, Charm, who was my third dog, won the Delta Society Guide Dog of the Year Award. And some of the things she did, which are pretty much average for all of us, it was a very snowy day. And I was, you know, back in New York, and I was about to cross the street. It was a small street, but I was so concerned with not falling and trying to climb up this big mound of snow I was not paying any attention to the fact that there might be a car coming. So uh, I got up to the top of the mound of snow and, you know, was about to go back down into the gutter when uh, Ivy wouldn't move. And a car whizzed by and I said, wow, she's paying attention. Uh, I was so impressed with that. Another time we were in the subway and subways can be so difficult because they're not just the trains are noisy, but you have people with portable radios and so on. So I came down the stairs to the tracks and I asked if the particular notice, you know, is the E-train here? And I probably should have worded it better. And the person said, yes, because I meant to say, is this the track where the E-train will come in? But came out wrong. And the person said yes, and it was noisy, so I told Ivy inside, and she wouldn't go and said there's no, no place to go inside of. And again, the person said, well, there's no train here on the track. Uh, and as I said, almost any guide dog could do that. And we were just talking today about Michael Hinkson and his dog taking him out of the World Trade Center. Uh, and that's quite an amazing feat, going down 78 floors if you're not in hugely good shape, which he wasn't. But to our dogs, they're just doing their thing. They're just guiding. Bob Acosta. Tony, great, very wonderful presentation. And I'm blessed to call you a friend. I, I give her hysterical calls sometimes, and she calms me down. <laughs> I'm on guide dog number 11, Rounder from Gallant Hearts, oh, which took me many schools that I was too old. I'm washed up and Gallant Hearts with Becky Floyd gave me a chance, and I have a wonderful dog. I am aware of our time. Tony, this is Deb Lewis, and I just wanted to say thank you. My phone is about to give out on me, so I might not hear the very end of the call, but I'm. Oh, you gave us such good information, and it was so fun to, to listen to you talk with us. Thank you so much. I wanted to end with a, a cute thing. Of course, it's a little bit too late, but I heard this about covid that just like we have Smokey Bear for fires, we should have an animal for COVID. And the suggested animal was a raccoon, because first of all, it's always washing its hands. And it has a mask, and it doesn't really want to be closer than six feet away from you. So I loved that when I read it. And this, you know. That is wonderful. Tony, thank you so very much. And thank you to everyone who came for this presentation. We will have a recording, and I will post the URL where you can download the recording uh, on the GDUI discussion list. Thanks to all of you. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me.
If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Soundprints. Have a great week, everybody.